Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirshner. Today's weekend long-form podcast, Glenn gives us the latest updates in the Trump trials. He begins with his review of the recent election. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to the weekend edition of Justice Matters, my audio podcast. As you may know, we try to air things out a little bit on the weekend, do some deep dives into the legal issues of the past week, look ahead to see what the week ahead might hold in store, but friends, Here's what I want to get to right at the top, the election results. Okay, now I am no political expert, right? I am not a political analyst. I don't even try to play one on TV. I look at the election results through the lens of a layperson, right? Somebody who doesn't pretend to know that much about polls and politics and primaries and I guess other P words. but. Here's my main takeaway from the results of Tuesday's election. It turns out we really do care about women's constitutional privacy rights, rights that were revoked by the Republican Party through its hateful Supreme Court justices, a handful of them, these people who are up there holier than thou, untouchable, ungoverned by any rules of ethics, they revoked women's constitutional privacy rights. And it turns out we really do care about that. It turns out we really do care about the Supreme Court killing affirmative action because we care about equal educational opportunity for our minority brothers and sisters, when the Supreme Court seems determined to keep certain populations, certain races down, keep them down, keep that playing field forever unlevel, right? Never even the educational score so people have a hope of equal educational opportunities, no. The Supreme Court is trying to keep people down, women, minorities, and we're gonna get to others in a minute. But it turns out we really do care about equal educational opportunity for our minority brothers and sisters. And it turns out we really do care about equal rights for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. You know, it turns out We care about that too. When the Supreme Court recently sanctioned discrimination in the business community against our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, that hateful Supreme Court. Turns out we care about all of that. 
as we demonstrated on Tuesday. And you know what, friends? We're just getting warmed up. You think last Tuesday's results were bad for the Republicans? Wait until November 2024. You ain't seen nothing yet. We got a little something for you. Yeah. We will again be getting to the polls in numbers too big to rig and numbers too real to steal. And we will restore decency and honor and integrity and ethics and compassion and diversity to this nation. We will. We will. You know, it's too big a fight not to take it on. It's too important a fight not to win. Because as we've been telling y'all, the haters, the people who want to hold entire populations down, we've been telling y'all, justice matters. You might want to listen to us. Equal justice matters. After the break, Ivanka Trump testified in the New York family fraud trial. Glenn talks about that next on Justice Matters. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ivanka Trump has testified in the New York family fraud civil case. Glenn says it appears amnesia runs in the family. Okay, friends. Now, let's turn to some of the biggest legal stories of the past week. And friends, I'm not saying this is really the biggest or most consequential legal story of the past week, but let's take on that circus in that New York courtroom, the Trump family fraud trial, right, being presided over by Judge Arthur N. Goron, because this past week, that trial devolved into an I do not recall jamboree. You know, somebody riddle me this. How is it that so many alleged business people, right? Donald Trump, Lil Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka. How is it so many alleged business people can't seem to remember a damn thing about the business, you know, they purportedly engaged in? How in the heck does that happen? Well, of course, we know how it happens. All of the I do not recalls, 
was not a legitimate lapse in memory. It was a feigned failure of memory. They were pretending not to recall because if they recalled, they couldn't explain their way out of their own fraud that was playing by virtue of the documents and the numbers and the games they played. You know, the week capped off with Ivanka Trump, who, you know, the observers said, oh, she was so polite and so poised, genteel almost. Yeah, but she couldn't remember a damn thing about the business she did as part of daddy's organization. You know, dozens and dozens of times. I do not recall. I cannot recall. I don't remember that. Well, well uh, Ivanka, this is from your email account. Well, Ivanka, this is your signature on this document. Well, Iv I do not recall. Come on. How foolish does she think Judge Ngoron is? And let me, let me just highlight one of the more absurd bits of Ivanka's testimony, and then we're going to talk about why the Trumps are about to go down in flames in this fraud case. So first of all, I think my favorite piece of Ivanka testimony was when she was being questioned by one of New York Attorney General Letitia James attorneys. When she was being questioned about a penthouse apartment in the Trump Park Avenue building, and it was clear that she had an option to purchase that apartment that I believe she was leasing. She had an option to purchase it for $8.5 million. It's good to be filthy rich, right? And she was asked, well, wait a minute, Ms. Trump, Ivanka, you had an option to purchase this penthouse apartment for $8.5 million, and yet at virtually the same time, this apartment was being carried as one of your father's assets on his statement of financial conditions, and it was being valued at $20.8 million dollars. Isn't that right? To which she responded, now I had, you know, we can only read the cold transcript, so I couldn't hear her voice, I couldn't see her demeanor, I couldn't gauge her body language, because all of those considerations are so important when you're assessing the credibility and candor, the truthfulness of a witness, how they testify, what they look like when they're telling lies you know, can tell you more than the words coming out of their, their mouth? Well, she said, I, I didn't have anything to do with the statement of financial condition. You know, I didn't, I didn't have anything that that wasn't me. That, uh. Okay, what does that tell you, friends? First of all, if you can buy a piece of property for $8.5 million, it's very hard to believe how it can be appropriately assessed or valued by Donald Trump and his sons as being worth $20.8 million. Boy, that is one hell of a friends and family discount. That ain't no 10% off your cell phone service, Ivanka. That's just one example of the absurdity we saw unfold in that New York courtroom. I wish we could see it 
with our own eyes. I wish cameras were broadcasting it so we didn't have to listen to Trump's lawyers and his family members step to the camera for their hallway lies session when the court was on break and spew out all kinds of nonsense about what was going on in the courtroom trying to deceive their base, ultimately to continue to grift their base. But here is, I think, the most important takeaway from what's been unfolding in that New York courtroom, and here is why they will go down in flames on this portion of the case, just like they did in the earlier liability portion of the case, when Judge Ngoron ruled against Trump and his adult sons, finding, yes, they did engage in massive fraud. And now this sort of part two is all about how much they should have to disgorge that's the technical legal term, how much of the ill-gotten gains, the money they obtained as a product of their fraud, they will have to pay back, and whether they should be prohibited from doing business in New York moving forward, just given the fact that they can't even remember any of the business they did is a pretty clear sign they ought to be banned, but that's not why they'll be banned. They'll be banned because they were engaged in massive, systemic, years-long fraud. But here's why the case will continue to go badly for them. Judge Ngoron already found them liable. He found them liable and granted what's called summary judgment. In other words, they're so clearly liable based on the evidence that there's no need for a trial on the question of liability, whether they fraudulently inflated and deflated the value of their assets to try to defraud people. They did. That part of the trial, they've already lost. And here's the thing, friends. They lost that part of the trial before a single witness took the stand in that New York courtroom. What does that tell you? It tells you the fraud was proved on the documents, not on anybody's testimony, whether they recalled something or couldn't quite recall something. All of this is almost beside the point. And frankly, their feigned inability to recall will allow the judge to just draw negative inferences against them, saying, I don't believe that you can't remember the business you did. That's absurd. You're obviously trying to hide, trying to cover up, trying to secrete what would be really damaging information and evidence from me, from the judge, the trier of fact in this case, because there's no jury. So the documents prove the fraud. It doesn't really matter what Donald or his sons or his daughters say or don't say about what they can or can't remember. They're going to lose. They're going to be made to disgorge a bunch of the money they acquired by fraud, and they're probably most likely going to be prohibited from doing business in New York moving forward. Because when you can prove a case based on the documents, as Tish James' team has been doing, you know, documents don't lie. Documents don't suffer from memory loss. And documents can't curry favor with one party or another. So they lost on the liability phase of the case based on the documents and they will lose on the disgorgement and the 
prohibition against doing business in New York phase on the documents, not on their pretend memory loss. You know, you have to wonder, is there maybe a little known medical condition called Trumpnesia? Or anybody with the last name of Trump, presently or formerly with the last name of Trump, they just can't seem to remember the business they did. It's Trumpnesia. You know, I'm sure we've got a drug for that. Right? Take two of these, little Don Jr., and call me in the morning. Maybe it will refresh your memory. You're obviously suffering from Trumpnesia. On the way, special counsel Jack Smith shoots down one of Donald Trump's most frequent lies. That's coming up next on Justice Matters. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Special Counsel Jack Smith has responded to a set of motions filed by the Trump legal team asking to dismiss the charges against him in Washington, D.C. Glenn says Jack Smith proves that Trump's arguments are meritless. All right, friends, we're now going to turn to a three-parter involving Donald Trump's criminal cases. I, I can't possibly cover all his criminal cases because there are so many. But this is going to be a three-parter. I want to start with the mountain of court filings that Jack Smith submitted to the court this week in his Washington, D.C. prosecution, right? That's the one for attempting to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. That's the one that Judge Tanya Chutkin is presiding over. I want to just touch on two or three things that Jack Smith says in his most recent round of court filings. Then I want to talk about the gag order, not the New York gag order, but the DC gag order, which is once again on a temporary pause. And then we're going to finish up with Donald Trump's claim that he was simply relying on the advice of counsel when he was committing all these crimes. All of my attorneys told me it was okay to do these things, that it wasn't at all illegal to overturn the results of a free and fair presidential election, right? It was just fine to go ahead and override the 
expressed will of the American voters when they elected Joe Biden. My attorneys told me it was all good. I'm going to rely on an advice of counsel defense. Now, he hasn't expressly given notice that he's going to do it, but both he and his lawyers have said so. His lawyers have said so as they make the rounds on, you know, the TV talk show circuit. So I want to take on those three Trump trial issues. And I want to start with Jack Smith's four court filings, all dropped on the same day last week. I can't possibly do a deep dive into them. The longest of the four was 79 pages long. If you're interested in a full, complete, and comprehensive understanding of the litigation that's going on in the case, you know, basically it involves Donald Trump's lawyers filing tons of what I consider to be at best meritless motions and at worst frivolous motions. But Jack Smith has to answer the mail on each and every Trump claim, regardless of how meritless, regardless of how frivolous. And that's what he has been doing. And a couple of the challenges that the Trump lawyers have made to his prosecution in federal court in D.C. include things like this. He says you just have to throw out the indictment because the indictment's all wrong. You know, the conspiracy to commit offenses against or defraud the United States, what we call a 371 conspiracy. Why? Because it can be found in the big, ugly blue book of federal laws, the United States Code, at 18 United States Code Section 371. So we shorthand it as a 371 conspiracy. Trump's lawyers say, oh, you know, Jack Smith and his team of prosecutors got it all wrong when they charged this as a 371 conspiracy. You just got to throw out the indictment. Judge, just trust us. No, I know there's no real supporting case law or precedent, but just, just take it from us. They got it all wrong. You got to throw it out. I'm now paraphrasing and summarizing the defense argument. But here is in a couple of sentences how Jack Smith responds to that. He says the defendant, Donald Trump, argues that the indictment fails to allege a conspiracy to defraud the United States under 18 U.S.C. 371, which makes it unlawful to conspire to obstruct a government function of the United States through deceit. The government function alleged in the indictment the process grounded in the 12th Amendment and the Electoral Count Act for collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election, that government function plainly constitutes a federal government function protected against a conspiracy to defraud. Indeed, the defendant does not dispute that this process is a federal government function for purposes of this kind of conspiracy we've charged under Section 371. Instead, the defendant, Trump, argues that the indictment fails to allege that he intended to use deceit to obstruct that government function. He is wrong, period. Close quote. 
I'm glad Jack Smith is not pulling punches, is not mincing words, is not soft peddling. What is obviously going on here? He, Donald Trump, is wrong. And then Jack Smith goes on for a dozen pages, definitively smacking down Trump's argument, definitively proving that Trump is long by relying on court precedent, actual authority for his, Jack Smith's, position, which the defendant fails to do. That's one example. Let's turn to Donald Trump's First Amendment claim. Okay, get this, friends. Donald Trump claims that his conduct on and around January 6th was protected by the First Amendment. Quote, the defendant, Trump, argues that the First Amendment requires dismissal of the indictment. The First Amendment does not protect fraudulent speech or speech otherwise integral to criminal conduct, particularly crimes that attack the integrity and proper function of government processes. The defendant's arguments are based on an inaccurate and self-serving characterization of the charges and his motion should be denied, period, close quote. And then, yes, Jack Smith goes on for a dozen or more pages setting out the law, the precedent, the legal authority supporting his, Jack Smith's, conclusions and assertions. And then let's finish up with this one. There are so many friends. I mean, you can read through this mountain of court filings and probably come up with some of your favorite absurd Trump claims as to why the indictment ought to be dismissed. And then you can read Jack Smith's authoritative and surgical refutation of those claims. But here's one of my favorite ones, Donald Trump claims that he's being selectively and vindictively prosecuted. The government, the prosecutors are engaged in selective prosecution and vindictive prosecution. Now, let me just say up front, there are legal doctrines of selective prosecution and vindictive prosecution that can, under the right circumstances, give a defendant an opportunity to challenge the prosecutor's decision to bring charges against him or her. I actually teach to my criminal justice students at George Washington University the doctrines, the case law involving selective prosecution and vindictive prosecution. I'm not going to bore you with a Team Justice Law School class on those two doctrines, but suffice it to say they're very, very, very difficult to prove. Let me give you a quick snapshot of why that is. Selective prosecution, for example, probably the leading Supreme Court case actually came about during the Vietnam draft, the selective service, when we were drafting people involuntarily into military service. And if you're of a certain age, as I am, you might remember that lots of people were failing or refusing to register for the draft. And when I say lots of people, something like 674,000 people did not register for the draft when they were required by law to do so. 
So there was a case involving some of these people. They're called non-registrants, people who didn't register for the draft. Some of them were prosecuted. Of the 674,000 non-registrants, people who didn't register for the draft, guess how many the Department of Justice prosecuted? 13 people. Well, guess what those 13 people claimed? Selective prosecution. How can it be that only 13 of 674,000 people who committed this crime, failing to register for the draft, get prosecuted? Feels kind of selective, selective-ish. I made up that word. Feels kind of selective-ish, no? Well, perhaps. But the Supreme Court announced that the bar is so very high to prove selective prosecution. You need to prove that the decisions being made by the government are discriminatory in their purpose, in their intent, and discriminatory in their effect. In other words, you had no legitimate reason to only prosecute 13 of 674,000. And the fact is, the federal government satisfied the Supreme Court that it did have a good reason. These 13 were kind of leading the charge, urging everyone not to register for the draft. So they were different in sort of kind and in quality and in motive and in conduct than the hundreds of thousands of others. You know, the government selected 13 based on the evidence and brought charges against those 13. And the Supreme Court said, that is absolutely not selective prosecution in a way that violates the Constitution. So it's a very, very high bar for a defendant to successfully prove selective prosecution. Vindictive prosecution, kind of a kissing cousin to selective prosecution, involves a prosecutor who is bringing charges based on personal animus, hatred for the defendant, not based on the evidence or the law, or vindictive prosecution can be a circumstance where a defendant exercises a legal right, a fundamental bedrock constitutional legal right, and the prosecutor punishes the defendant for it. That is another variation of vindictive prosecution. I guess I ended up just doing the mini Team Justice Law School class that I promised you I wouldn't do. I hope you're still with me, friends, because we're getting to the good stuff. So Donald Trump makes these claims, selective prosecution, vindictive prosecution, not to mention witch hunt, political interference, not fair, blah, 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 angry Democrats, blah, blah, blah. This is Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump is Mr. Blah, blah, blah. And here is what Jack Smith says about Donald Trump's vindictive and selective prosecution claims. And I love this. I love this because it directly takes on and debunks, right, smacks down. Donald Trump's often heard refrain that Joe Biden is prosecuting me. Joe Biden is directing the prosecution of me, not because I've done anything wrong, but because I'm his political opponent. Here is what Jack Smith says about this, and I think it sings. He says, the defendant's theory, Trump's theory of 
discriminatory purpose, which is part of vindictive prosecution and selective prosecution. The defendant's theory is that the incumbent president, Joe Biden, directed the defendant's prosecution to defeat him in the next election. The defendant, Donald Trump, fails to bring forth any evidence to support this claim. That is because there is no such evidence. And here comes the important part, friends. The incumbent president, Joe Biden, has no role in this case. And the career prosecutors, that is Jack Smith and his team, handling this matter would not participate in this prosecution if it were otherwise. Just let that sit for a minute. Let me tell you, friends, I drafted more legal pleadings in my 30 years as a federal prosecutor than I can ever count. And every word I put in there, I had to be willing to stand by as an officer of the court. It was my sworn duty, my ethical obligation to make sure every assertion I made in a court filing in a criminal case was true and accurate and backed up by facts, by evidence, by supporting case law if it was there, and if not, by case law that I could use to infer that what I was asserting has some support, even if it's somewhat novel. But just please take me at my word, friends. I took deadly seriously my ethical obligation to make sure every word I put in a court filing in a criminal case was true and accurate and I could back it up. When Jack Smith says, Joe Biden has no role in this case and the career prosecutors handling this matter would not participate in this prosecution if it were otherwise. That is an important assertion. That is an assertion that must be credited, not just should be credited, based on my experience, must be credited. Now, yes, there can be dishonest prosecutors, corrupt prosecutors, unethical prosecutors, you know, Prosecutors are not immune from being bad, cruddy, and doing things that are not just unethical but illegal, right? Prosecutors have been, well, prosecuted when they commit crimes. And the same is true across all walks of life and in all professions. You're going to have bad, unethical, cruddy, criminal defense attorneys and judges and court staff and police officers and, you know, every business people. and. Of course, right? This is common sense. This is our, our shared experience. But I'm telling you, when I read that, it really rang true to me. Jack Smith told the court, if Joe Biden was directing this prosecution or had any involvement in it, we would resign. We would not participate in this prosecution. Let me give you a recent historical example of where we've seen that. Friends, remember when Bill Barr, Donald Trump's corrupt attorney general, who is now on his, you know, implausible reputation rehabilitation tour, nobody's buying it. When Bill Barr corrupted and weaponized the Justice Department in league with, in concert with his boss, Donald Trump, 
to punish his perceived enemies, Trump's perceived enemies, and reward Donald Trump's criminal associates like Mike Flynn and Roger Stone. Remember when Mike Flynn pleaded guilty not once but twice to committing felony crimes, because he did, and then Bill Barr's Department of Justice swooped in and tried to undo it, or when Roger Stone committed crimes in part to cover up the crimes of Donald Trump, and the Department of Justice prosecutors that I, some of whom I used to work with in the homicide section of the DC US Attorney's Office, tried and convicted Roger Stone. And then Bill Barr swooped in and tried to reduce the potential sentencing request, the potential term of imprisonment that the prosecutors believed was appropriate for Roger Stone after, my goodness, they'd gone through the endeavor of trying and convicting him. Some of the prosecutors not only resigned from the case or cases, but some of them resigned from the Department of Justice. Why? Because they would not participate in Bill Barr's corrupt endeavor, in Donald Trump's corrupt endeavor to assist Trump's criminal associates like Mike Flynn and Roger Stone. And that is the experience that leapt to mind when I read Jack Smith's direct claim that if Joe Biden had any role in the prosecution of this case, we, the prosecutors, would not participate in this prosecution. I take them at their word, and we've had examples of how other good, honest, ethical federal prosecutors took that to heart and removed themselves from cases and some resigned from the Department of Justice. So I embrace that creed that Jack Smith and his team of federal prosecutors, again, some of whom used to be on my team of federal homicide prosecutors at the DC US Attorney's Office, the creed that they live by. So next time you hear Donald Trump say, Joe Biden is prosecuting me, he's directing the prosecutor, it's a witch hunt, it's election interference, blah, blah, blah. Discard it out of hand and point to this sentence, this assertion by Jack Smith. Coming up next, is Donald Trump gagged right now or not? Glenn explains what he can and can't say next on Justice Matters. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. 
Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. A federal appeals court has temporarily lifted a gag order on Donald Trump in his 2020 election interference case in Washington, D.C. Glenn says he'll be there on November 20th in the appellate court when they make their determination. Okay, friends, let's turn to the Donald Trump gag orders, plural, because you may remember not one but two judges have imposed gag orders on Donald Trump, trying to prevent him from saying things and posting things that would endanger witnesses, court staff, prosecutors, and others. But as of right now, one of those gag orders is on pause. It's on hold. It's on a temporary hiatus. Now, first of all, the gag order that was imposed up in New York by Judge Ngoron applies only to the court staff. Donald Trump can't talk about or post about uh, Judge Ngoron's court staff. Of course, Donald Trump has twice violated it and been fined. Big whoop. The more comprehensive gag order was put in place by Judge Tanya Chutkin in connection with the Washington, D.C. federal prosecution of Donald Trump. That one prohibited Donald Trump from talking about or posting about or reposting about the witnesses or the substance of their testimony, the court's staff and the prosecutors and his team. And that's the one that has been on again and off again. First, Judge Chutkin imposed it. Then she temporarily stayed or paused it while the parties, the prosecutors, and the defense filed some more motions. Then she reimposed it. Then Donald Trump appealed it. And now the appellate court, a three-judge panel of the appellate court in D.C., paused it again. They put in place what's called an administrative stay. What that means is the appellate judges are not saying there's any merit to this appeal. They're just saying, let's put it on pause. Let's put it on hold. Let's set it for a briefing schedule and oral arguments. Then we'll resolve it and we will rule that either it is lawful and constitutional or it is not lawful or constitutional but we're gonna pause it temporarily while we figure it out. So the courts set a November 20th oral argument date to have the attorneys come in and argue about whether this gag order is constitutional or unconstitutional. I will attend that oral argument in DC on November 20th and I will do a Justice Matters video and audio podcast later that day. Kind of going through what I saw in court, what the arguments were, and whether the appellate court judges were sort of tipping their hand at all, you know, in their questions about which way they may end up ruling. But I want to talk about the gag order against the backdrop of a brand new story that was just reported by CNN and a brand new outburst by Donald Trump on his third-rate social media platform, where he exploded based on this new CNN reporting. So here is the new reporting from CNN, and it involves who might be testifying 
as a witness against Donald Trump down in his Florida federal prosecution, you know, regarding his obstruction of justice, concealing classified documents, espionage trial, right? That's scheduled for May. Here is the new CNN reporting. Headline, what the woodworker saw, Trump documents trial may put resort workers on witness stand. And that article begins, a plumber, a maid, a chauffeur, and a woodworker are among Mar-a-Lago staffers and contract workers who federal prosecutors may call to testify against former President Donald Trump and his two co-defendants at their upcoming criminal trial in Florida, according to multiple people familiar with the investigation. How do you like that, friends? A plumber, a maid, a chauffeur, a woodworker. I don't know if the prosecutors will also be calling to the witness stand, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, but boy, this is a danger zone for Donald Trump and his two co-defendants in the Florida federal case. Why? Because these are the people who I'm betting were largely invisible to Donald Trump, the plumber, the maid, the chauffeur, the woodworker. Now, I'm sure, friends, that Donald Trump always treated the staff at Mar-a-Lago with great dignity and respect and kindness. What are the odds that Donald Trump treated his employees at Mar-a-Lago well and fairly. But let's go back to the CNN article. And friends, listen to this assemblage of witnesses who will testify against Donald Trump in his documents obstruction espionage case down in Florida. While some of the witnesses who may be called to testify hail from Trump's inner circle, including his career in business, as a political candidate, and from his time in the White House, other potential witnesses are the types of workers rarely noticed by Mar-a-Lago's wealthy guests. Other likely witnesses also include Trump Secret Service agents, former intelligence officials, as well as people who were in the room with Trump when he was captured on multiple audio recordings referencing a military document about potential plans to bomb Iran, according to sources. But the low-level workers who were the eyes and ears of Mar-a-Lago, if called to testify, could offer the public a new level of insight into the exclusive club and Trump's approach to sensitive national security information since he left office. Some of them are still employed at Mar-a-Lago. These are the people who saw what Donald Trump was doing at Mar-a-Lago day in and day out. But do you think Donald Trump saw them? Do you think he even shared a simple courtesy with them? Good morning. Do you think he gave them the time of day? Do you think he even knew they existed? You know, if they were lucky, he didn't know they existed because if he did, he was probably yelling at them and berating them, criticizing them. 
demonizing and dismissing them because, you know, these are people who are beneath him. Yeah, these folks are going to be some of the most damaging and, frankly, directly incriminating witnesses who end up testifying in Donald Trump's federal prosecution down in Florida. And now, predictably, as soon as CNN reported that the plumber, the maid, the chauffeur, the woodworker, and others would be witnesses against Donald Trump, he exploded all over his third-rate social media platform. And let's have a look at what he said, what he posted. I really wish I could do impressions or impersonations. I can't. Um, but I'll read it in the kind of angry, breathless way I expect Donald Trump felt as he was posting this. Here's what he said. Fake news CNN just did a story leaked by deranged prosecutor Jack Smith and his massive team of radical left lunatics that various people saw papers and boxes at Mar-a-Lago. Of course they did. They may have been the boxes, etc., that were openly and plainly brought from the White House, as is my right under the Presidential Records Act. I even supplied, upon request, security tapes to these election-interfering thugs. Is this really breaking news? No, it's breaking fake news. But what about all of the papers, boxes, and documents found at numerous crooked Joe Biden places, like his garage floor by his cherished Corvette, or Chinatown, where it was just learned that boxes moved freely in and out? He doesn't come under the Presidential Records Act because he wasn't president at the time. Deranged Jack Smith has spent over $100 million investigating me on this phony Russia, Russia, Russia type scam. How much dollars have they spent investigating Crooked Joe on his much bigger boxes deal? Boy, that Donald's a real wordsmith, isn't he? Well, there is Donald Trump's sort of predictable, hyperbolic, desperate reaction. And to me, it sounds like somebody is really nervous, right? That doesn't really convey confidence that he's done nothing wrong and that he will be fully exonerated at trial after trial, after, you know, trial. Now, I'm not gonna spend time debunking all of the lies in this ridiculous post. He told several, though. You know, for example, there's no indication Jack Smith leaked any of it. In fact, when you read the CNN reporting, it makes clear that these many witnesses who were interviewed by the FBI were subpoenaed to testify before the grand jury about Donald Trump's crimes, these many employees at Mar-a-Lago. The article makes it clear that they're talking to one another about these matters. They're talking to their lawyers. The lawyers probably talk to one another. And here's something you should keep in mind, friends. Witnesses who testify before the grand jury are under no obligation to keep quiet. There's no prohibition about them talking to anybody and everybody, not just their lawyers, 
not just other witnesses or fellow Mar-a-Lago employees. They could sit down and give media interviews about precisely what they told the grand jury. And that does not violate any grand jury secrecy provisions because those secrecy provisions don't apply to the witnesses who testify. So keep that in mind. There's no evidence this was leaked by deranged prosecutor Jack Smith and his, quote, radical left lunatics. Also, the Presidential Records Act. Donald Trump keeps throwing that, I'm going to use a legal term, shit in the mix. You can take the boy out of Jersey, but you can't take the Jersey out of the boy. You know, he keeps spewing that nonsense into the public square, but the Presidential Records Act doesn't give him the right to take from the possession of the federal government from the White House classified materials, national defense information, right? It doesn't give him that right. He just keeps saying it like somehow magically it will provide him some protection. It won't. But again, enough of going through all of the lies in Donald Trump's most recent rant. Here's what I want to say, and I want to bring it back to the gag order. If the gag order that at the moment is on a temporary hiatus, it is paused. If the gag order was in place, this would clearly violate it several times over. And so I want to finish with this point, with this observation, with this plea that the criminal justice system, you know, stiffen its spine meet the urgency of the moment and leave the damn gag order in place. Enough of imposing it and lifting it and reimposing it and pausing it because the gag order itself is amply supported by precedent, by case law that says you're allowed to do this to protect the integrity of the proceedings. And if it had remained in place, Donald Trump wouldn't be able to say or post these things. He would be prohibited. And if he did, he would be sanctioned with the ultimate sanction being revoking his pretrial release and detaining him pending trial, putting him in a jail cell pending trial, which is still where I think he is likely to end up if the gag order is reimposed. And I hope it is after the November 20th appellate court argument. But I just wish that the institutions of government would step up and meet the urgency of the moment, because it's not only Donald Trump that has a right to a fair trial. Of course, every defendant has a right to a fair trial, but we the people have a right to a fair trial. That's not me just saying it. The case law says that. It acknowledges that the people especially the victims, have a right to a fair trial. And frankly, friends, like it or not, we are all victims of Donald Trump's democracy-busting crimes. We have a right to a fair trial. And frankly, we demand accountability for Donald Trump, an aspiring dictator, trying to bring an end to our democracy, trying to override our votes, which is precisely what he tried to do on and around January 6th. You're damn right we're going to exercise and demand our right to a fair trial. Because, you know, justice 
matters. Friends, thank you for joining me on this weekend long form podcast. You can find me elsewhere on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram under Glenn Kirshner 2, my name and the number 2. You can go to my YouTube channel, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner, where I post a legal analysis video every day. Of course, you can find my audio podcast wherever you ordinarily get your podcasts. And then finally, if you have any interest in more formally supporting our all-volunteer efforts, our mission, our content, feel free to come on over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron. You can support our efforts here. And if you do, I'll send you some Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks. And thank you to the many of you who have come over to Patreon and are part of Team Justice and are supporting our efforts day in and day out. We couldn't do this work without you. So friends, as always, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.